I want to preach a message to you that I actually had written and, and prepared two weeks ago, but here we are, June, or excuse me, January was the 15th, so two weeks later, you're going to get this message that I had in mind two weeks ago, but that's all right. I think it's a on, on the spot, perfect message for today. I just want you to pay attention and listen, because I believe it's going to help us set the tone for the year. I really do. Uh, I had the privilege of working as a bailiff in the Shelby County court system for about four years on a part-time basis. So a couple of days a week, I would find myself in Columbiana at the Shelby County Courthouse, uh, actually working with Judge Reeves, Dan Reeves. How many of you know Judge Dan Reeves? How many of you saw the judge side of Judge Dan Reeves? Yeah, okay, all right. So <laughs> I knew there'd be several in the room that had done that. Judge Reeves worked most of the criminal dockets here in Shelby County, so I would work with him on some of those criminal dockets. And uh, I'll never forget the one day when I was working with Judge Reeves, a man came into the courtroom and he was uh, wearing a Bud Light t-shirt. A Bud Light t-shirt. How many of you know that's not a really good idea to walk into a judge dealing with criminals? Wearing, okay. Well, later that morning, of course, the man's name was called. And uh, he ended up in front of Judge Reeves facing a violation of probation charge. Now, some of you may not know what a, what a violation of probation charge is. Let's just say that at some point in their lifetime, they had accepted uh, probation instead of going to prison, so they had agreed to certain conditions in order to stay out of prison. It's a pretty good deal, really, if you stop and think about it, prisoner probation. Probation sounds like a pretty good deal. All you have to do is you agree to meet with a probation officer once a month. You agree to take drug tests, usually about once a month, and you agree to pay a fine, right? Well, this guy found himself in front of Judge Dan Reeves facing a violation of probation charge, and apparently he had missed an appointment with his probation officer, or he had failed to take a required drug test in order to prove that he was clean and off drugs. So as he approached the bench, Judge Reeves asked him, and we're just going to say Smith, Mr. Smith, what are you wearing today? And Mr. Smith said, I'm wearing a t-shirt and jeans, Your Honor. Judge Reeves questioned him a little bit further. What does it say on your t-shirt, Mr. Smith? Well, Mr. Smith suddenly realized what he had on. He looked at his shirt and awkwardly, I mean awkwardly, <laughs> awkwardly, he looked up at Judge Reeves and he said, it says drink Bud Light, Your Honor. Well, Mr. Smith, Judge Reeves said, go take a seat in the jury box. And that's where all the guys dressed in orange with the handcuffs were sitting. And, uh, and, and then turning to the court security officer, the deputy, in the room, Judge Reeves said, Deputy, take this man into custody. We're going to test him and see if he's clean. Well, I happened to be sitting by the jury box, and the man wearing the Bud Light t-shirt had to walk by me on his way into the jury, into the, uh, into the box with the other, with the other prisoners. And, and as he walked by me, he looked at me, and he had this frustrated, angry, embarrassed, you know how all those different emotions were, were flying off. He, on his face, and, and, and he looked at me, and he said, I can't believe this. He said, 
I, I swear I'm clean. I haven't done anything. And I looked up at him and I said, well, then you should have dressed like it. You should have dressed like it. Listen, we're, gonna, we're, we're, we're going verse by verse through the book of uh, Colossians, the letter, this little letter to the Colossian church that Paul wrote. In the first two chapters, Paul focuses on the person and work of Jesus Christ. I mean, Paul makes it clear, Jesus is God in the flesh. And he is our Savior. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our Sanctifier. Jesus is our Lord. It was the death of Jesus on the cross that paid the full penalty for our sin. It's, it was Jesus' resurrection from the dead that proves that we've been made right with God. It's in Christ that we're forgiven of our sins. It's in Christ that we've been made free from all of our sins. It's in Christ that we've been adopted into the family of God. Paul makes it clear it's Christ. It's, he is our all in all. Christ is the incomparable one. He's all we need for salvation. He's all we need for godliness. He's all we need for life. Then Paul takes us in chapter 3 to a real practical part of the letter. And in the light of who Jesus is and all that Jesus has done, Paul tells us this is how we should live. In the light of who Jesus is and what he's done, this is how you ought to conduct yourself. And Paul uses the metaphor of taking off clothes and putting on clothes to illustrate the kinds of behaviors and attitudes we should have as followers of Christ. This man who appeared before Judge Reeves says he was clean, says he was sober, says that he uh, had not been using uh, drugs and alcohol, had not violated the terms of his probation agreement, but yet he had a Bud Light t-shirt on. The, the clothing he had on represented something he says he was no longer a part of. Does that make sense? And, it, and the judge had an issue reconciling who the man said he was with the way the man conducted himself. Does that make sense? which created all kinds of trouble for the man himself, right? Well, guess what, man? Christ has changed our life. And if we are who we claim to be, if we are forgiven, if we are living in freedom, if we have been, if we have been set free from the past to live a life of glory and honor for the Lord, then it ought to show itself out here, right? in the way we conduct ourselves, in the way we represent ourselves. And that's what Paul's trying to say here. He's using the illustration, the metaphor of taking off clothing and putting on clothing when he talks about our behaviors and attitudes that we ought to have as followers of Christ, as the sons and daughters of God. And there are certain attitudes and behaviors that simply aren't appropriate for us anymore. It was inappropriate for that man to show up in a courtroom with a Drink Bud Light t-shirt on. Just inappropriate. In the same way, when we show up in our homes or at our jobs dressed with, in certain behaviors and attitudes, it's just, it doesn't fit. It's, it's not appropriate anymore if we are who we claim to be. Does that make sense? There are certain attitudes and behaviors that simply aren't appropriate for us as the sons and daughters of God. And if you go... Uh, uh, up to the early part of, of chapter 3 in the book of Colossians, it talks about some of those attitudes and behaviors, sexual 
immorality, lust, and greed, and anger, and filthy language, idolatry. These things uh, might have been part of our past lives, and we talked about these at the end of last year. They might have been part of our past lives, but they are completely out of place in this new life we have received from Jesus Christ. The Bible says that those old attitudes, those old behaviors ought to be put to death. Those kinds of sinful attitudes and behaviors ought to die with that old life. And now we ought to live for Christ by putting on these new attitudes and these new behaviors who represent who he is and who we are in him. If the dude wanted to present himself as clean and sober, he should have thrown away the Bud Light t-shirt. Right? If we want to present ourselves as followers of Christ, there are some attitudes and behaviors we just ought to throw away. In Colossians 3, 12 through 14, we're told about these new attitudes and these new behaviors that should now characterize our lives as we live as the sons and daughters of God. It's like being given a new set of clothes for Christmas. These new clothes fit who we are in Christ. These new attitudes and behaviors look so much better on us now as followers of Christ. These are the things. We've put off the old, now let's put on the new. And let's live as we should live. Let's read that passage together. We're only going to focus on one verse of it today. Colossians 3, 12 through 14 says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Lord, I love you so much and I thank you for the privilege you've given me to stand here today and to bring this message to this wonderful group of people. And I feel so inadequate standing up here doing what you've called me to do, but yet, Father, I pray that you would empower me to do it, to do it well. I pray that you would get me out of your way, speak through me, God, so that they hear your voice, not mine. I pray the Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us about areas in our life that maybe have not yet been surrendered to you, but areas of our life, God, that we're clinging to for whatever reason. Help us today to let go and let you have your way in us. Father, I believe that everyone in this room wants to represent you well. I believe everyone in this room wants to live up to what they have already attained in Christ Jesus. I just pray today, God, that you would help us conform to the image of your Son just a little bit more. Help us to take another step uh, toward the holiness you have called us to. Father, in these days, of, of all the days that mankind has been upon the earth, in these days, we need to represent you well. We need to be the light that you've called us to be. So help us to do that, Lord. Bring this word to life in us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Look, these verses reflect the heart of who we should now, of how we should now live as the sons and the daughters of God. These verses reflect the heart of who we are called to be in Christ. And I believe, I really believe this with all my heart. I believe the vast majority of us in this room want to live just like this. This is who we want to be. This is how we want to live. We know we ought to put to death those 
ungodly attitudes and behaviors. We know we ought to live in personal holiness by clothing ourselves with these Christ-like virtues that we've just read about. Most of us want to live in this personal holiness described by this passage of Scripture. I believe that with all my heart. I've had too many conversations with you. I know where your heart is. This is who you want to be. And maybe you're struggling in some area of your life, but I want to remind you today as we get into this passage of Scripture, and we'll study it even more next week, but as we get into it, I want to remind you of this. There is life-changing power in the Word of God. Life-changing power in the Word of God. You don't have to stay the, the way you are. If you want to change, the, the Word of God can change you. Because not only do we have the, 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 the life-transforming power of God at work in us, there is also the power of the Holy Spirit who lives inside our hearts that work, that's working on us too. So as we take in the Word of God, as we hear it, as, as, as we seek the face of God and seek to understand the will of God for our life, there's also God himself working on the inside, transforming the way we see things, the way we uh, take in things, the way we uh, perceive life, changing the way we respond to life as it comes our way. Listen, not only do we have the life-transforming power of the word of God at work in us, we have the life-transforming power of the Holy Spirit at work inside of us. So listen, <laughs> You want to change? Hey, baby, change is on the way. Change is on the way if you'll cooperate with what the Lord is trying to do in your life. God calls us to holiness, personal holiness. And if we will study his word and diligently put his word into practice as the Holy Spirit leads us, I believe you and I can live the kind of holy lives that we've been called to in Christ Jesus. There's a great Bible teacher named J.C. Ryle who said this, and I want to point this out to you as we get going. J.C. Ryle said, holiness is the habit. Say that word with me, habit. Holiness is the habit of being of one mind with God according as we find his mind described in Scripture. It is the habit, say it again, habit, of agreeing in God's judgment, hating what he hates, loving what he loves, and measuring everything in this world by the standard of his word. I, I, I emphasize the word habit for a reason. I want you to notice that Ryle says holiness is the habit of being in one mind with God. A habit takes time, consistent time. A habit takes practice, consistent practice to develop. A habit takes time and practice to develop. A lot of us have made some New Year's resolutions, right? The only way to keep those resolutions is to consistently take the time and consistently practice fulfilling those promises that you've made to yourself, right? In doing so, you will create a habit. Hopefully those habits will be healthy. Well, personal holiness is also a habit that takes time and practice. You say you want to live in personal holiness. You say that you want to become the person that Christ has called you to be, and my question to you then is this, are you developing the habit of living in personal holiness? Are you making a consistent effort at putting into practice the things the Lord tells you to do? I just want to focus today on one verse, actually the very first part of that verse, verse 12, because I think it holds the key for us, if we're going to live the kind of life that God wants us to live. This first part of verse 12, I think, holds the key 
because it speaks to our identity. It speaks to who we think we are or know we are. Verse 12 talks about our identity as Christians, our identity as the people of God, our identity as the sons and the daughters of God. And And I believe this, I'm convinced of this, that from our identity will flow a lifestyle that brings honor and glory to God. If we know who we are, then we'll begin to live as we should live. Does that make sense? I am an Alabama fan. I know the other day I put an Auburn cap on, but that's probably the last time you're ever going to see me wear a piece of Auburn clothing. Why? I will not, I will, I probably will not wear a piece of Auburn clothing because I'm an Alabama fan. That's my identity, right? And it freaked you guys out when you saw me put that Auburn cap on. You're like, what is wrong with you, man? Even the Auburn fans were questioning my judgment, you know? And there are some of you just with the flip side, you're Auburn fans. If I ever see you with an Alabama shirt on, I'm going to like, what in the world's going on here? Because out of your identity, who you think you are, will flow all sorts of things, right? In the same way, if we know who we are in Christ Jesus, if we're confident of our identity in Him, then out of that will flow all kinds of things, all kinds of behaviors and attitudes, right? We're not going to be wearing Bud Light t-shirts anymore, will we? (laughs) Or marijuana leaves, or... Anyway. No, we'll start wearing Jesus fish instead. No, I'm kidding, don't wear Jesus fish. Listen, if you're a Christian, I would ask you to raise your hands, but I'm not going to get you to do that. You you self-identify right now as a believer. If you're a Christian... There are three words that speak to your identity in verse 12. And I just want to mention those three words to you again. I want you to see who you are in Christ Jesus. And and, and you could go as deep into this as you want to go, and I could point you to some books that will go into much greater detail than what we're going to do today. But you need to understand that who you were in the past, it no longer applies. That old identity died with you. It's dead and gone and buried, crucified with Christ. It's now Christ living in you, right? You have a new identity, a brand new identity in Christ Jesus, and there are three words, and I want you to keep these words in mind as you launch yourself into 2017. If you will keep these three uh, descriptions of your identity in mind, I'm telling you, it will transform the way you think about yourself and the way you live your life. If you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, if you are a son or a daughter of the Lord Jesus Christ, there are these three words. Identify who you are. First of all, you're chosen. Say it with me. I am chosen. You are holy. Say it again. I am holy. You are dearly loved. Say it. I am dearly loved. Chosen, holy, loved. Here you go. Ready? First of all, quickly, looking at each of these three uh, parts of, uh, descriptions of your, of your identity, you're chosen. You are chosen. Now, theologians uh, will talk and debate about the doctrine of election. Election has to do with this idea that God chooses who will be saved and who will not be saved. Calvinists and, and, and uh, some of our Calvinist friends, there are two main brands. Oh, man, I'm gonna get, I don't, don't want to get into weeds on this. Um, There are two primary ways of looking at the doctrine of election or how God goes about choosing those he will save. Our Calvinist brothers, the Presbyterians and and, uh, many many of our Baptist brothers and sisters, they say that God 
uh, looked down through the corridors of time and chose the ones who would be saved and the ones who would not be saved. So that choice has already been made, according to our Calvinist brothers. Arminians, uh, which would come from uh, our Arminian brothers and sisters, which would be like Assemblies of God, Nazarenes, and some of the holiness movements, they would say that, no, God looked down the corridors of time and he knew the ones who would accept his offer to be saved. See the distinction? In one, God looked down and chose, and the other, God looked down and knew who would choose. Does that make sense? But I want you to notice, I don't care how you frame this debate about election, I don't care how you frame uh, how God went about choosing those who would be saved, I want you to notice this, it was God that made the first move. We didn't choose him. We didn't choose him. He chose us. You're chosen. You're chosen. You're chosen. As a matter of fact, the Bible says it this way. He says that we were, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. I have yet to see a dead man choose anything. I mean, when, when a dead man's lying there in a funeral home, he doesn't, he doesn't choose what coffin he's going to be buried in. He may have paid for one coffin, but the funeral home director could put him in something else. You know what I'm saying? He really didn't have much of a say-so about it because he's dead. No choosing goes on. Once you're dead. The Bible says that once you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins, that means we were not even able to choose God, even if we wanted God, unless God made the first move. Follow me here. You see, there was nothing about us, nothing at all about us, to merit God's attention or his affection. He didn't look down through the corridors of time and and say, you know what, I really love that Robin Rosser. She is perfect in every way. I think she is a great person inside. I'm sorry, Robin, you're not all that. And neither am I, Robin. We're all wretches. We're dead in our sin, and we stink to high heaven. There is nothing righteous about us. Nothing. Nothing. There is no reason at all for God to ever look down through the corridors of time and see any of us worth choosing. But yet, he did. He chose you. He chose me. In spite of my stench, my moral stench, in spite of my overwhelming guilt, in spite of the fact that I was dead in my trespasses and sins, Somehow, God looked down through the corridors of time and said, I choose him. I choose her to be mine, to be part of my family. Have you guys, I'm sorry, I just can't escape this illustration, and it's, it's, so, it's so weak, I hate to use it, but I'm going to. When I was a college kid, I decided that I wanted a puppy. A puppy. You know, a little dog. You just have to explain some things, you know. So as a, as a freshman, I don't know why I wanted a puppy. I couldn't really afford a puppy. I didn't have a job to pay food, to buy food for them. I just wanted a puppy. I, you know, I don't know. But I went down to the pound in Tuscaloosa because I was a freshman at the University of Alabama. And, and uh, hey, I know you guys have been to the Tuscaloosa Animal Shelter. And 
it's a pitiful place to go, is it not? I mean, you walk in, the stench is overwhelming. It smells like, well, you know what it smells like. <laughs> and you're looking at all these little dogs. And I know there are cats there, but I don't, I'm not a cat person, so I ignore the cats. I go with it. And, and, the, and I'm like looking at, I was in Tuscaloosa looking at all these dogs, and I'm wondering, well, what dog? I mean, which puppy do I want? They all, you know, they're all equally dogs. You know, there's not a dog in the place that's really kind of jumping out at me like he, this one really deserves my love. You know, nothing like that. They're just dogs. And for whatever reason, the little puppy I chose, I came to call her Bo. She was the, if there was an ugly puppy, she was the one. She was the, her hair was, it was, she was a black poodle mix and her hair was all knotted up. You know, they hadn't, they didn't, hadn't bathed her. Of course, back then, probably they didn't bathe stray dogs when they came in. And, and uh, <laughs> I'll never forget, when uh, I drove home for, for Christmas vacation with Bo, and I was living with my uh, grandparents over vacation, and I walked in the door with this nasty-looking little black dog with all its matted fur, and I'm sure it was covered with fleas, but as a freshman in college, I didn't care. I didn't think about it. As I walked in, my grandmother looked at me and said, what is that? Now, I know Bo, you know, I don't want to, Bo didn't know what I had done for her, didn't really fully appreciate it, you know, she was a nasty little puppy, and probably in a week she would have been injected with something and, and put down, but now Bo became my constant companion, and I carefully washed her and bathed her and began to clean her up, and she became a sweet little dog that I had for several years until Lorna ran over her, and I'll never forgive Lorna for that, but anyway, that's another story. <laughs> I, I, I don't know, that's, uh, it's, a weak, it's a weak story, it's a weak analogy, but let me just say this. The world is like the Tuscaloosa dog pound, and we're all just a bunch of mutts running around. And nothing about us ought to attract the attention of God, nothing. There's nothing about us that's, that ought to attract his attention, and certainly nothing we've done should merit his affection. But yet somehow when he steps when, when he looks at this planet, he sees some of us and he says, I want her, him, in my family. And you know what? I'm going to bring him in my household and I'm going to clean him up and I'm going to give him the best of everything. I'm going to make... Why? Because of something we did? I'm just a mutt. Nothing about me should attract anything, any attention from God. Nothing. Even my most righteous act is like filthy rags in the eyes of God, but yet he chose me. He chose me. I don't know about you, but if you can begin to understand what that means, I am chosen by God to be his son. You are chosen by God to be his daughter. He has adopted you into his family, and there is nothing he won't do for you. No distance he won't go for you. He chose you. Not because you're all that. But in spite of the fact that you <laughs> aren't all that. He chose you. He chose you. It, it, you see, it's, it's God. It, it's not about us at all. There's nothing about this. There's nothing about us that merits God's attention. Nothing about us that merits God's affection. Instead, it's God that makes the first move. It's God who chooses us. We don't choose him. 
The Bible says by faith we accept his offer to be saved, but even that measure of faith comes from God. You get this? Even the measure of faith that, that saves you comes from the hand of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says it. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. So even the faith that you used to latch on to the offer of salvation that God gives you in Christ, even that faith comes from God. That's not even from you. There's nothing about you that merits his attention or his affection, and yet in spite of all he says, I choose you. You're the one I want. You're the one. You're the one that I want. You're the, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Listen, you and I have been chosen by God to be his son. You and I have been chosen by God to be his child, his daughter. And for crying out loud, why don't we live in such a way that we recognize, that people recognize that we are chosen by God to be his own? We ought to live in such a way that people recognize this part of our identity. We have been and my question would be, do people around you recognize you as a chosen child of God? Do they recognize you when you step into the room? Wow. Not living like the rest of us. They're not, you know. There's a, there's a confidence. Another, th another bad analogy I was thinking of, and I'm sorry, I'm just running all over the place, got plenty of time, right? I thought about Michael Jordan showing up at Clear Elementary School in his prime. Michael Jordan says that he, you know, he, he tells the sixth grade at the Clear Elementary School, I'm going to take your best five on in a basketball game. And so the Clear sixth graders, you know, they get together their bas best basketball players, and then they, you know, Michael Jordan goes down to the kindergarten class and picks out four of the puniest kindergartners and says, that's my team. Okay? Who do you think is going to win the game? The sixth grade basketball players, as good as they are, or Michael Jordan with four little puny kindergartners? Who's going to win that basketball game? Of course. Of course. And, and, and some of you when, you, when you go to work, you're thinking you're in it all by yourself. You're not in it by yourself. You've been chosen by God to be there. You're on his team. You ain't going to lose. He's got your back. Some of you right now are in marriages that are struggling. I'm telling you, you're not alone in that marriage, man. God's right there with you. He's going to make sure you've got all the resources you need to be the witness in that home you need to be, to be the dad or the mom that you need to be to your children. You're not going to lose. You've been chosen to win. When you're chosen by God, you're chosen. You're destined to win, to gain victory over this world. Jesus said, look, in this world you're going to have trouble, but don't be afraid because I've overcome the world. Well, guess what? He's chosen us to overcome the world too. If we'll just understand who we are in Christ and not give in to the fear. Instead, live by the faith that we have in the Son of God. I don't know. I'm going off on wild tangents, but let's get back. We're chosen. We are chosen. Say it. I'm chosen. I am chosen. All right. You're also holy. Oh, holy. Not me. Yes, you. You're holy. The Greek word for holy is hagios. And it's Paul's favorite description of us as believers. It means that we've been set apart for God, that we've been dedicated to God. You see, when you um, are, are uh, um, saved by the blood of Christ at that point, God sets you apart from everyone else. He dedicates not just the pastors, not just those who are called to preach the gospel, not just the, those who serve as missionaries. Every believer is called to be holy. 
and you are called to be holy, just like I'm called to be holy. It's really kind of funny how we put different standards on different people, is it not? Huh? Am I supposed to be more holy than you're holy? I am, called, I am called to the same level of holiness you're called to. You're called to the same level of holiness I'm called to. We're just called to be holy. We're called to be set apart for God, dedicated to God. You and I have been chosen by God, and we've been set apart for God. We are holy. That means that, means that we live in the world. We live in the world, but we don't live like the rest of the world lives. That means we may live in the world, but we don't chase after the crowd. That means we may live in the world, but our priorities and our values are different. That means we may live in the world, but we live by a different standard. We follow the word of God. We don't follow the ways of the world. We are holy. We look to the Holy Spirit for guidance. We don't look to Hollywood. And I wish we'd stop taking our cues from Hollywood. We are holy. We, we know that we ultimately answer to God and not the government. In fact, the world may look at us, and because we are holy, because we are set apart, because we are dedicated to God, they may look at us and call us weird. But you know what? That's okay. That's okay. I would rather be known as a fool for Christ than to be acclaimed by the world. Listen, here's, here's what it is. We're called to be weird. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing as long as we're being weird for the Lord because this world is not our home. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews it says, we're looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. This is not my destination. I'm going some, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, we're, we're going somewhere else. We're going to, to heaven. 1 Peter 1.15 says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. We are holy, set apart for God. We are, we are designated for the Lord. We've been set apart for the glory of God, set apart to live uh, for the honor of the Lord, set apart to live for the glory of God. And my question, I guess, uh, has, to, has to be this. Does your life reflect your identity as a person who's been set apart for God? Or do you find yourself just going along with the crowd? As a youth pastor, I used to say this all the time, any, dead, any old dead fish can float downstream. It takes a live fish to swim against the current. Have you been made alive in Christ? Then you're going to find yourself swimming against the current. We're holy, set apart for the glory of God. Is God transforming your life? Do you find yourself daily being made more and more like Jesus? Can you see the change that's taking place? Because you are holy, called to be holy, called to be different. There's nothing wrong with that. We need to get over ourselves a little bit. And your love. You're chosen, you're holy, and you're loved. And I love what this passage of Scripture says. It's not just loved, it's dearly loved. Dearly loved. You're dearly loved by God. This is who you are. This is who you are. Chosen by God. Holy for God. Dearly loved by God. I mean, God has a special kind of love for you. And... I, it, it, it's become such a cliche, and, and so often it comes across as pablum, and I, and I don't want you to take it this way. God loves you. God loves you more deeply than you could ever understand. 
Paul said that if we could come to understand the height, the depth, and the breadth of God's love for us, that it would remove every ounce of fear, every trace of fear in our life, and we would know God even more deeply. We need to explore as best we can the depths of God's love for us in order to understand what he is really calling us to be and do. You see, God has a special kind of love for you and me. And I want you to understand, it's true that God loves all of creation and he loves all of mankind, but there is a special love that's been set aside for those of us who are the sons and the daughters of God. God dearly loves us. God dearly loves us. Romans 8 talks about it a little bit. It says this, And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what, I just want us to read that. It's up on the board, right? Can we read that together? I want, it, I want you somehow, and I want you to say it out loud. Read it, read it out loud with me. I want you to, to, to somehow maybe, maybe let the, the, the love of God penetrate some of the harder parts of our hearts. Say it with me. And I am convinced. No, 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 you, you said that kind of half-heartedly. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now you can explore that passage of scripture the rest of your life and never come to the end of it it's so rich but what I get out of it is this God's love for you and me is unconditional his love for you and me is permanent his love for you and me it never wavers he loved you and me before he ever knew us he loved you and me in our rebellion and in our sin he loved you and me when he saved us he loved you and me when we obey him. He loves us when we fail him. Oh, that's hard to accept, isn't it? Some of us, as soon as we fail God, what do we tend to do? Come on now. Come on. Let's get honest. There's something in us. The devil convinces us that my failure now separates me from God. His grace is enough. His grace is enough. Now, does that mean we need to continue to live in that failure? Do we need to continue to wallow in that shame and guilt? Well, that's right where the devil wants us, right? To wallow in it. No, 1 John 1, 9 says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know how to overcome failure? Stop failing. <laughs> Turn to God. He'll lift you out of that pit and get you going again. You don't have to wallow in the shame and guilt. 
The way to overcome failure is to stop running from God and turn to the only one who can give you victory. Your love, your failure will not separate you from God. You're dearly loved by God. And his unconditional, unwavering love for you. Man, it ought to affect the way you love others. It ought to affect the way you live. If you are loved unconditionally, as God says he loves you, can't you take the risk of loving someone else that way too? If you, if you are as forgiven as God says you are, can't you take the risk of forgiving someone else too? If you have been shown such glorious kindness and compassion by God in spite of your failures and nonsense, can't you sh show the same kind of kindness and compassion to someone who's full of their own nonsense and stupidity? I mean, you're loved, dearly loved. Love with a love that never runs out. Dearly loved. That's who you are. You're chosen by God. You're made holy by God. You're loved by God. That's who you are. Say it with me. I'm chosen. I'm holy. I'm dearly loved. Say it again. I'm chosen. I'm holy. I'm dearly loved. All right. We're going to do something we haven't done in a long, long time. I'm going to... I'm going to ask you to respond to that. What does it make you? As you consider the truth that you are chosen, what is your response to that truth? Say it with me. I'm chosen. How do you respond to that truth? Give me an How does that affect your life? To know that you're chosen. I can live with purpose. I'm chosen. Come on. How does that affect confidence? I'm chosen. How does that make you, how does that affect your life? Forgiven. Power. Huh? Oh, cool. Yeah. Is that not amazing? We're chosen by God so we can boldly approach his throne with confidence, knowing that he hears us. Okay? I'm holy. I'm holy. I'm holy. How does that affect the way you live? How does that affect, affect the way you look at your life? I'm holy. Anybody? Come on. I'm set apart for God. I'm designated by God. For his glory. I'm holy. What is that? How does that affect your life? Say what? Yeah. Build your self-esteem, okay? Your value of yourself, your worth. Graham? Okay. Cool. I'm different. I'm fish swimming upstream. I'm floating downstream. I'm holy. Come on. I'm set apart for God. Qualify. Qualify. What? Strength. Obedience. An example. What? New beginning. 
your own actions don't validate you. Wow, we could go with that one for a while, huh? Good. I'm loved. Dearly loved. Dearly loved. Isn't that what we're all hungry for anyway? Come on. We want someone to love us for who we are, as we are, and we want to be able to love in return. You're dearly loved. The God of the universe dearly loves you. How does that affect your life? How does that affect the way you see yourself? Purpose. Acceptance. Wow. Huh? Never alone. Complete. You mean Sean's not your soulmate? Jesus is? So if Sean fails you, it's okay because Jesus won't. That's right. Come on, somebody else. Dearly loved. How does that, huh? Fearless. Yeah, man, you can take a lot of risks when you know you're loved like that. Well, that's who you are. That's who you are. Chosen. And, and I mean, you could go home and, and meditate on this stuff and, and, and really roll it around in your mind and heart. And you're chosen, you're holy, you're dearly loved. Everything has changed about you. Because before, you were anything but chosen, right? You were anything but holy, anything but loved. Well, guess what? All that's changed. And I believe as we come to understand this new identity we have in Christ, we're going to begin to dress ourselves for it. We're going to throw out all those attitudes and those behaviors that were associated with the person we used to be, and instead we're going to begin to dress ourselves in these new attitudes, these new behaviors, uh, that represent Christ and who he is and who we are in Christ. Uh, there's a story that's told about St. Augustine. St. Augustine was a great uh, Christian who lived way, way back in the day, I think around the 3rd century, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, St. Augustine lived a sexually immoral lifestyle for much of his young, young life. And, but just after his conversion, Augustine was walking down a city street and... Uh, he happened to run into a prostitute that he used to spend a lot of time with. And, and when he saw her, Augustine quickly turned and began to walk in the opposite direction. And the prostitute saw him, and she began to call out. She began to call out to him, Augustine, Augustine, it's me, it's me. And Augustine responded to her, yeah, but it's not me anymore. It's not me anymore. And he turned and walked away. I had a, in a similar story, but a uh, more contemporary note. Uh, kid that had grown up or spent time in one of my youth groups uh, when he was in seventh and eighth grade, middle school kid. He came by Kingwood a couple of years ago. He tracked me down, found out where I was working, and he stopped in and wanted to said, "I want to, I want to talk to you, Mark." I said, come on, man, here I am, and he came by. His name was Scott, is Scott, not was Scott, he is Scott still. Um, he was in my youth group as a middle schooler, and he spent some time with us, went on some trips with us, that kind of thing. 
And uh, he had given his heart to the Lord. His parents actually were in ministry themselves. But Scott, when he hit those high school years, veered off into rebellion, got into drinking and, you know, all that comes with that, and that kind of lifestyle. And Scott told me his story. He said, I, I, you know, I love to fight and I love to drink. And he said, I'd get off work, I'd go to this certain bar, hang out, and usually if I, if I didn't get into a fight, and then I just sat and drank the night away, then I'd go home. And he said, one night I'm sitting at the bar, and he says, it's a night like any other night. I'm sitting at this bar. He said, I got a beer in my hand. I'm looking for someone to pick a fight with. And he said, as I'm looking around, it comes, it comes to me. He said, and excuse my language, this is what he said. And I, don't, I, you know, I don't want anybody to be offended. But he thought to himself, what the hell am I doing here? This isn't who I am. This isn't who I am. This isn't where I belong. I was raised better than this. God has called me to something more than this. What am I doing here? And he said he put that beer down, walked out, never been back. You know what happened? Scott got a revelation of who he is in Christ. That's not him. That's those sinful attitudes, those sinful behaviors. They don't belong to a child of God. No more. Some of you are right there, right now. You need to look at yourself and some of the attitudes and behaviors that you seem to be clinging to, the Bud Light shirts you're still wearing, if you will. I'm not saying you got a real Bud Light t-shirt hanging in your closet, but there's some attitudes and behaviors in your closet, spiritual closet. They need to go. Because that's not who you are. You've been hanging on to those things for whatever reason. I'm just saying, look, that's not who you are. Your identity has been completely changed. That's not you anymore. You need to put on these new attitudes, these new behaviors. We're going to talk more about those next week. New attitudes and new behaviors associated with this new identity you have in Christ. Be who you're supposed to be. Walk in the power of God. Knowing that you have, you're chosen, that you are holy, that you are dearly loved. Walk in this new identity you have in Christ Jesus. And I'm telling you what, 2017 can be a whole lot different than 2016. Find who you are in Christ and live in this new identity. Adopt it. Embrace it. Enjoy it. Because there's more ahead that God has for you. Stop. Seriously. 2000, right now, as we begin 2017, some of you need to go through your spiritual closet and get rid of some things. You need to go through your spiritual closet and see these new things hanging in there that you need to start embracing and practicing, putting it, developing this habit, personal holiness.